You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good morning, good afternoon, Black Forest Chapel. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday morning, but so whenever you see this, I hope you are together with someone. If not, we just want to welcome you as a church body. Um, this is the sixth week that we have not been able to meet together in this church. And I'm looking forward to when we can see all of us, each other again. Uh, not on Zoom, but face-to-face, physically. Um, the passage of Scripture today is 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. So if you could turn to that in your Bibles, 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 4. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word It's truth. It's truth that we can cling to, not just in our minds, but truth that we can cling to with our hearts, and truth that we can cling to because we cling to Jesus, who is the truth. I pray, Lord, that your word would speak to each of our hearts and give us the message you would have us receive. They would encourage, exhort, Whatever it may do, Lord, that your word would be that sword that cuts deep within our hearts, within our very marrow, and causes us to be your people. I exist in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read through that for us. It's 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Christ is the living stone which has been rejected by men, and we are living stones. In Corinthians it says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. In Timothy it says, We are in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. We are called living stones, which are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. So how are we built up? Let's look in 1 Peter, in chapter 1, in verse 3, I'm just going to go through this quickly. Verse 3, we are born again by God's mercy. In verse 5, we are protected by God to receive eternal life with him. In verse 7, our faith is tested in the fire of affliction. In verse 13, where we keep our hope fixed on Christ. And in verses 15 and 16, we are commanded to be holy. In verse 22, we are commanded to love one another. And in verses 23 and 25 of chapter 1, we have been born again by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we are living stones that are being carefully carved and fitted by God as the master mason in building his temple, the living church of God. And we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. What are those sacrifices? They are praises for what he has done, as it says in the book of Hebrews. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And also we ourselves, we ourselves are the spiritual sacrifice to God. As it says in Romans, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This building, the church, starts with the cornerstone. Everything is based upon and lines up with this stone. This precious stone is Jesus Christ. The psalmist says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Isaiah also says, Therefore says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone, For the foundation, firmly placed, he who believes in it will not be disturbed. It's recorded in Acts after Peter heals the lame beggar, he states, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He, Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Peter proclaimed that the 
that Christ is the chief cornerstone by which we are saved. And he also states that they rejected this precious stone. He states it here again in 1 Peter 2, verse 7. The stone which the builders rejected. In Matthew, Jesus quotes Psalm 118, 22, when he stated, Did you ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. The kingdom of God will be given to those who testify that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul states in uh, his letter to the Corinthians, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. God is molding you as a living stone. God is building his church into a temple. The church is being built as a new temple of living stones upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Let's turn back to the text in the... First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We see five labels God has for his church. We are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession, and the people of God. Let's look at a chosen race. The psalmist says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Isaiah also says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts. And said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you 
with my righteous right hand. God chose the people of Israel as descendants of Abraham. He also declared to them that he will strengthen and uphold them. God has also chosen us to be adopted as his children. As it says in Ephesians, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. God has chosen us. It was his will to choose us. We are also a royal priesthood. The nation of Israel was to be a kingdom of priests to God. When the nation was in the wilderness, camped in front of Mount Sinai, God said to Moses, Now then, if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The prophet Isaiah also proclaimed to Israel that you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. God will make us his church to be a kingdom of priests to him. We look in Revelations. He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It also says in Revelations 5.10, You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Also in Revelations chapter 20, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. We are royal priesthood. We are also a holy nation. The nation of Israel was to be a holy people to God. It says in Leviticus, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for the Lord your God. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Again in Deuteronomy, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. We also are commanded to be holy. As we read in the first chapter of First Peter, verses 15 and 16, Be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. We are also God's own possession. God chose Israel out of all the nations of earth to be his own possession. 
says in Deuteronomy, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. We, the church, are also owned by God. As it says in Titus, our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Now, to become God's own possession, we have been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Peter also says this in chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The price of our purchase was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We no longer own ourselves. God owns us. We belong to him. We are also called the people of God. Hosea says, Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. The Apostle Paul quotes Hosea when he says in Romans, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who is not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession, and the people of God. So what is our purpose? Let's look at the end of verse 9 of 1 Peter 2.9 that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that we may proclaim the gospel. So what is the foundation of the church? Jesus Christ, he is the cornerstone. What other foundation stones does the church have? Have you turned to Matthew sixteen eighteen? Matthew chapter sixteen verse eighteen. Jesus said he would empower us by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, as it says in Acts one eight, to testify about the fact of his resurrection and his transformation of our lives. Jesus instructed his disciples to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. We are to be his witnesses in Black Forest, Colorado Springs, El Paso County, Colorado, or wherever he may send us. 
Now let's look at where the church of living stones is built. Where does God build the church as far as physical space? Matthew 16, 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The interpretation of this verse has been debated for centuries. The reason for this debate is determining Jesus' definition of the rock upon which he will build his church. The name Peter in the Greek is Petros, or stone. The rock on which Jesus will build his church in the Greek is Petra, or bedrock. You are Peter, Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. I'm going to look at these interpretations, and you can take your time when you get back home look through the scriptures uh, on these, how we interpret this. It's a little hermeneutical study for you. So the first interpretation is that Jesus is using a play on the Greek words Petros and Petra. So the Petra rock is interpreted to be Peter himself. The Roman Catholics use this verse to support the premise that Peter was declared the head of the church by Christ. Therefore, Peter became first in the line of popes as head of the church. Peter himself is the rock, but in a special sense. He's not the rock on which the church is founded. That rock is God. But he is the first stone of the whole church. Peter was the first person on earth to discover who Jesus was. He was the first person to make the leap of faith and see Jesus as the son of the living God. As we see earlier in verse 16 of chapter 16 of Matthew. When Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, Peter was the first member of the church. And in that sense, the whole church is built on him. It is is as if Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you are the first person to grasp who I am. You are therefore the first stone, the foundation stone, the very beginning of the church which I am founding. And in ages to come, everyone who makes the same discovery as Peter is another stone added into the church of Christ. Second interpretation. Many Protestants identify the rock not as Peter, but as Peter's confession, or his faith, or Jesus himself. That we must not separate the man Peter from his confession of Jesus as the Messiah, as we read in Matthew 16, 16. Jesus did not say that he would build his church upon you, Peter, Petros, but upon this rock, Petra. Jesus could be referring to himself as the rock. As it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, all drank the same spiritual drink. They were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. 
And in our passage, in our text, in 1 Peter, if you still have your finger there, 1 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone, stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. The same ideas about the rock are in this passage. However, in this, this passage, the stone of stumbling for unbelievers, whereas in Matthew 16, 23, Peter is the stumbling block. When Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. This is after Peter had rebuked Jesus for declaring that he would suffer and be killed in Jerusalem. Now I'm going to introduce a third interpretation of Petra, the rock. This is what what you might call a geographical interpretation. It takes into account the geography where Jesus is making this statement. There in the city of Caesarea Philippi, which sits at the base of Mount Hermon, which is the northeast boundary of the nation of Israel. This area was best known for a massive rock over 100 feet high, 10 stories high, and 500 feet wide, on which was built the ancient city of Pananias. It was renamed Caesarea Philippi in 14 AD. Pananias was the religious center of worship for the Greek god Pan. The city was dominated with immoral activities and pagan worship. Pan's temple was the largest in the city and was built in front of a massive cave with a deep spring that was so deep that it could never be measured. No, they'd measure with a string, a rope, and a rock, and they didn't have anything long enough to measure the depth of this spring. So to the pagan mind, the cave led straight to the underworld, the domain of the fertility gods. They would throw animal sacrifices into this water for the gods below. The cave was known throughout the region as the Gates of Hades. It is from here that Jesus told his disciples that he would build his church on this rock and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. In this rock face were carved images of many gods, the worldview of their current culture. Jesus was announcing a new way of life and he was using the place where they were standing as a vivid illustration Instead of idol worship, he was building the church. Instead of false gods in Hades, the living God in heaven. Instead of a spring, a deep spring that swallowed life, Jesus, the living water, 
that swallows death and springs to eternal life. Now, this place was called the Gates of Hades, but what is meant by that expression? The psalmist says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction for those who hate me. You lift me up from the gates of death. In the ancient world, Hades was the name of the grave. I realize that some translations for Matthew 16, 18 use the word hell instead of Hades. But what is meant by this term is that when you died and went to the grave, you were under the earth in Hades, behind its gates. In other words, you were dead and held there by the gates. There was no escaping death. Only God could lift you up from death. So the gates represent the imprisoning power of death. Death could not hold Jesus, and death will not be able to imprison and hold the church of the living God. The imagery is of death being unable to swallow up the new community which Jesus is building. It will never be destroyed. Jesus was telling the disciples that his death, his own death, would not prevent his work of building the church. If you're still in Matthew 16, uh, turn to Matthew 17. Later, later, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the top of a high mountain, which was probably Mount Hermon. It stands at 9,200 feet. Caesarea Philippi, which where they were, was, is at 1,100 feet. According to Jewish tradition, Mount Hermon was the location where the divine sons of God had descended from heaven, corrupting humankind via their offspring with human women. Genesis 6. I know it's a very debated passage. I won't get into that. That's according to Jewish tradition. These offspring were known as Nephilim, ancestors of the Anakim, the Rephaim. They were read about in Numbers 13. In Jewish theology, the spirit of these giants were demons. In this pagan culture, the mountains were considered as places to communicate with the gods because the gods were above. You get closer to the, to the gods by going up a mountain. There are remains today of, of, of over 20 temples on Mount Hermon dedicated to various gods. The peak of Mount Hermon is covered with snow most of the year. And there's almost no vegetation above the snow line. Lions, leopards, and bears lived in the forests of the lower parts of the mountain. The snow melt is the principal water source for the River Jordan. So Caesarea Philippi is 1,100 feet, and Mount Hermon is 9,200 feet, an elevate elevation gain of over 8,000 feet, we have the same perspective of elevation gain when we look at Pikes Peak from Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs, at, I'm sorry, Pikes Peak is at 14,000 feet. Colorado Springs is at 6,000. So you get that same perspective what Mount Hermon would have looked like to them. 
So Jesus is going to lead three of his disciples to the top of what is most likely Mount Hermon. Imagine the conversations these three disciples were having as they hiked to the top of Mount Hermon. A domain of pagan gods, through the forests of lions, leopards, and bears, to the top of a barren mountain that averages 60 inches of precipitation and rain or snow per year. I imagine they were following Jesus very closely up this mountain, which was quite the journey. So I read in Matthew 17, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. As a side note, I can imagine Peter wanted to make tabernacles or sacred tents to protect them from the rain or snow on top of the mountain. But uh, Jesus had taken these three disciples from the gates of Hades in Caesarea Philippi at the base of Mount Hermon to the so-called demonic stronghold at the top of Mount Hermon and was transfigured before them. He was visually demonstrating his power over the demonic, idol-worshipping culture of the world. He was going to build his church, where? In this world, in the midst of its culture. And no power, not even death itself, was going to stand against it. Later on, after they had come down from the mountain, when the Disciples could not exercise a demon-possessed boy. This is recorded in Matthew seventeen twenty. Jesus said to the disciples, If you have the, sa- the faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. I believe the mountain that Jesus was pointing at was Mount Hermon the one they had just came down from, which couldn't see, can be seen for many miles, just like we can see Pike's Peak from many miles away. You will say to this mountain, Mount Hermon, the so-called power of this culture, move. God's kingdom is here in his church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. It says in Colossians, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
So where is God's temple? In Paul's uh, sermon to the men of Athens, recorded in Acts, he says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So where does God dwell? It says in Corinthians, Do you not know that you, you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? In John's apocalypse, we are metaphorically a pillar in God's temple. It says in Revelations, He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. We are being built together into God's temple, as it says in Ephesians. You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We are being fitted together stone by stone by stone as a holy temple for God. And this temple, this church, is not completed yet. It is still growing living stone by living stone. No Christian can look at this passage and many other passages of Scripture and say that they can follow Christ without a community of believers. Statements such as, I love Jesus, but don't belong to any church, are as senseless as a part of the building to say, I'm built on the cornerstone, but not attached to the rest of the building. The belief in private Christianity, or I used to hear the term Lone Ranger Christianity, is a contradiction in terms. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is the cornerstone. The prophets and the apostles are the foundation stones. The foundation of the apostles and prophets is the message of the gospel, which is based upon Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. When Jesus speaks of building his church, the foundation rock and the verb build are the solid images on which the metaphor relies. But the word church does not contribute to the physical imagery. The Greek term for church, ekklesia, never denotes a physical structure in the New Testament, but always a community of people. The new temple is not a building of literal stones, but consists of living stones. Jesus says he will build my church. The identity of the assembly of people will no longer be the nation of Israel, but Jesus himself. It is his assembly, his church. 
I'm going to end this sermon with a story about a living stone. This living stone's name was John Livingstone. Writing to John Livingstone, the young Scottish preacher in the late 1600s, Lady Colross began, My very worthy and dear brother, courage, dear brother. It is all in love. All works together for the best. You must be hewed and hammered and dressed and prepared before you can be a living stone fit for his building. Lady Colross was a Scottish writer and poet and wrote this poem. View the vast building, see it rise. The work, how great. The plan, how wise. Nor can that faith be overthrown which rests upon the living stone. On June 21st, 1630, several hundred Protestants crowded into a church in Schatz, Scotland, to celebrate communion. A relatively unknown preacher named John Livingstone was scheduled to address the crowd. That morning, overwhelmed by a sense of his own unworthiness, Livingstone fled the town of Schatz, only to be turned back by the conviction that his appointment to preach was of God. Soon after Livingstone began to speak, rain began to fall in the crowd that was unable to squeeze inside the church. As the congregation scattered, he admonished them with the challenge that they should flee only to Christ, the city of refuge. Before Livingstone could finish his sermon, the power of God fell in revival on the crowd. By nightfall, more than 500 new believers came to faith in Scotland's best-known revival. John Livingstone obeyed the call of God in his life. He could have kept on walking away from the town of Schatz, dwelling on his own inability to be used by God on that day. But he submitted to God's calling and preached a sermon that God used to cause a revival in that city. What has God been calling you to do in his church? If you don't know, then ask him. Make it your prayer every day. Lord, I'm available. Use me for your glory. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. We are God's own possession, and God is going to use his church to proclaim the gospel. We don't just proclaim the, God, God, the gospel individually. But we also proclaim the gospel as a church, a community of believers. That is the mission of God's people, the church. Later on in his letter in first, first epistle, Peter 
chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, he says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Where do you fit into this church body as a living stone to be used by God? If you don't know, then ask him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how it pierces our heart. It pierces my heart. I pray, Lord, that we would be living stones and we would continue to proclaim the gospel in the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.